how do you deal with the intensity of the ceremonial environment? Is that essentially it? Yeah. So yeah, there are people, there are people purging, there are people crying, there are people making weird noises, and just so much going on, so much going on in the music and yeah, the smells, the different you know, incense and plants that are being burned and all this stuff. How do you deal with the, the overwhelming quality of that? One of my teachers, uh, Stanislav Grof, he, uh, he has a phrase that I really like and I, I use a lot myself, which is, take it to the mat. Just So for example, let's say that you're at one of his events, uh, like a, a holotropic breathwork event, and you, know, you hate the music. It's just awful. It's just the worst. And you go, it's like, Stan, please, this is awful, awful, awful music. And he'll just say, just take it to the mat. Like, take whatever it's drawing out of you, your frustration, your anger, your disgust, like, oh, why are you even playing this? Take all of that and put it into yourself. Put it into your experience. Feed it back into yourself. Be like the Ouroboros consuming itself, the serpent consuming its own tail. Take it back into yourself so that you can work with whatever it's bringing up inside of you. Um, you know, I find it interesting, for example, this is the opposite end of the spectrum, just to work with the polarity of it. For example, someone who's in, someone who's journeying and they, um, what are you doing, Randy? It's all right. So the other end of the spectrum, let's say that someone is just lying there and feeling really numb. They're just feeling totally flat and numb. And they go, I didn't have an experience. Nothing happened. This was your experience. This was the medicine showing you what you need to see. And I understand it's, it's awful in a way, but it's like you... This is what she's showing us. us. If, if she's showing us numb, she's showing us our numbness. If she's showing us overwhelm, she's showing us our overwhelm. If she's showing us longing or clinginess or like, you know, intense need, then that's what she's showing us. Whatever it is, it's, it, this kind of boils down to that phrase of yes, thank you. And you go, well, what's the point? I mean, it's a fair question. Okay, what's the point? What's the payoff of sitting in that situation? Well, it's different for everyone. For some people, the payoff isn't really worth it. It depends on the culture and the tradition too. There are some traditions where one-on-one -on -one is the only thing. There's nothing else. Or you do one-on-one, -on -one, it's you and the person holding space who are called by whatever name they're called by in their language. It's you and that person. Maybe your family's there, but your family's just there for support. They're not journeying. They're not going on a journey with you. Take it even further, there's some cultures where you go and the person holding space is the only person who drinks the ayahuasca. You just lay there and they tell you what's wrong with you and how to fix it. Anyways, if I start talking about the, how different cultures work with ayahuasca, that'll, that'll be a really long conversation. My point is that you might say, okay, this is something I want to work through. I have sensory, I, I struggle with sensory overload issues or I, sensory overload is an issue for me, right? So I'm just going to go in this state where I turn my sensory perceptions from a nine to a 25 out of 10. 
<laughs> and then just sit with it and let your nervous system work it out. Let your nervous system work it out. I mentioned it earlier, the body keeps the score. And it's, it's another thing that's talked about in that book of if you can get into an environment where you can be in a situation that's similar to the traumatic to a traumatic situation or to let's just say a situation that you want to overcome that you didn't quite overcome like that life threw you something at some point and you didn't you weren't quite at a level to overcome it if you put yourself in a situation where you can overcome it then that can help resolve the underlying stuff so ceremony can be that I mean, ceremony often is that for all different kinds of people in all kinds of different ways, where you show up, stuff happens, stuff happens, and you sit with it. And ideally, hopefully, you have to sit through things where there is, uh, it's necessary suffering. You suffer through it, but there's a necessity to that suffering that frees you from the pain of the past. Um, there's this idea where there's a relationship between trust and pain and truth. And when you combine all of those things, you can get to this other side of healing and compassion. So you come into this space and somewhere inside of you, there's this pain. Somewhere inside of you, there's pain. You come into this space and you have to trust. If you, if you want to get anywhere, you have to trust. So there's this pain and there's a trust. What was the other thing? You don't remember? You didn't know there'd be a quiz, did you? No, I didn't. There's <laughs> truth. So the pain is in the truth. But as the famous saying goes, the truth will set you free. So you're in this environment where you choose to trust. It's a choice. Like No one can make you trust anybody. So you choose to trust, which is, in a sense, trusting yourself. And then the truth is revealed and the truth is painful. But walking through that valley of death, holding someone's hand that you trust, that cares about you, you can come out the other side. And the other side is having compassion for yourself, being friendly for yourself, and even if you're overwhelmed, being friendly to yourself, even if you're overwhelmed, it's okay, I'm just overwhelmed right now. Even if, if you feel really raw and just like, ah, oh, a little torn up, and believe me, I've been there, I totally know what that feels like, very, very much so. Just go, okay, well, that's just where I'm at right now, being friendly. And the more that we see our own truth, and the more that we have felt through our own pain, and the more that we have been through that process of with someone we trust, the less of a sting, the less of a sting there is in my experience because it's just not so, it's not so white hot. We, every time we engage with it, we just pour it off a little bit more. It's like there's a vessel inside of us that is right now just full of like lava and we, we kind of pour it out in, in whatever increments we can over time. And then over time, we kind of fill it back up with honey. And that honey is just feeling warm toward myself. Like myself, I can just feel warm towards myself. Because Not because I'm perfect. Not because I didn't mess up. But because I just unconditionally feel warm towards myself. Not because someone said I deserve it or don't deserve it. Why? Because why not? Why not be warm to yourself? 
is there ever a situation where being hating oneself or I'm not just speaking about you, but like all of us as humans, is there ever a time when self-loathing is going to get us farther than being friendly to ourselves? I'm serious. Like, is there, I'm, I'm, this is a real question for you now. I'm turning it around. Like, is there a time? I don't know. If there's a time, I haven't ever seen it. So to summarize, taking it to the mat and whatever's coming up, that's what's coming up to, to be felt through. And then feeling it through, feeling the truth of it, feeling the pain of it, and at some point, finding an ability to be friendly to yourself, even through all that stuff. Okay, I'm really raw and sensitive. Okay, well, I can be friendly to myself even if I'm raw and sensitive. Well, maybe you're not feeling friendly towards yourself. Well, can you be willing to be friendly towards yourself? Are you willing to be friendly towards yourself? Are you willing to be willing to be friendly towards yourself? Are you willing to be willing to be willing? <laughs> Is there any little bit in there that's that of friendliness, you know, that we can, a little seed of friendliness that we can put some nice water on? And that can blossom and blossom and blossom every time. And every it's a reinforcing pattern. Every time you think, well, I'm going to be friendly to myself. And, you know, I'm going to be, like, or just good job, me. You know, in this situation, I can say to myself, I, I do say to myself, I'll stop. I'll, like, rub my chest. I'll be like, that was, you did really, good job, Ankar. You did a good job in that situation. <laughs> Nicely done. Just rub my chest. Nicely done. You, this, you know, you handled that well. I, I like to talk to myself like I'm my own grandmother, you know? Just like, oh, would you like some tea, dear? You know? <laughs> and why not? No one says that you can't be your own grandmother. <laughs> the grandmother that, you know, an idealized grandmother. <laughs> not all of our grandmothers were so... Tea and cookies grandma. Tea and cookies grandma. That's right. It could be your own tea and cookies, Grandma. And I, I do think that it's, it's, it's how it looks to me that the people's resistance to being kind and friendly to themselves is, in one part, just a, a lack of seeing our fundamental goodness. That if you take away all the pain and all the suffering that we have, actually, we're just naturally very blissful creatures. If you take away all of the thousands of years in tra of trauma that we've collectively been through, if you just poof. I, and, and if everyone's lives had the, at least the ability to become relatively comfortable, relatively comfortable, we don't need to be living in luxury, you know, just our basic needs being met. I think it's been my experience that we're, we're quite blissful creatures. But if we, we have this idea... Well, first of all, we don't understand that. We just haven't seen that, right? Because you can't know, you don't know what you don't know. We don't know what we don't know. But there's this idea also that, like, again, with the tea and cookies grandmother, she can be overly permissive too. And there's this idea, I think, that we don't want to become overly permissive with ourselves because if there's, there'll be social consequences. If you're not following the, like, Protestant work ethic, if you're not, if, if someone asks you how you're doing and you just look and you say, I'm just wonderful, how, how is your life going? Most people don't know how to handle that. You say, there's a, there's a social contract. You come up to me, you say, how are you doing? And I say, I'm very busy. Oh, just so busy at the office. And this is a game that, that we play with each other. 
No one knows how to handle it. If people, people ask me, oh, how, how are you, Ankar? I say, I exist. And I, I'm being silly, but I'm also telling the truth, and they don't know how to handle that. But most people laugh, which is nice. Or I say, I'm human. And again, people, people don't really know how to handle that. Now, maybe I'm just a pest and I like poking people, um, which is true. <laughs> but I just wanted to point that out as a side thing that part of the resistance to that friendliness is, a, is this fight with what starts out as a little bit of harshness and self-pressure. It's like, you know, I know people who the only way they get out of bed in the morning is by hating themselves, by berating themselves. You piece of trash, you get out of bed right now. You do this, you know. They, they, Freud called it the superego. They've taken these negative messages that they've received and then they've internalized them and they use them as a weapon against themselves. Why? Because it works to a certain extent. Because their caretakers did that to them, told them they were worthless, and it motivated them to a certain extent, in a certain way. It was not very healthy, not very practical or functional, but it worked enough that it became a pattern. Then that later on becomes self-loathing. And what is the antidote? It is just that friendliness, just that willingness to be willing to be willing to be friendly. Because again, there's like that container, that self-loathing is like the lava. The trauma is the lava. It's all just one big burning pain. And the more we can get a little bit of friendliness in there and take out a little bit of the, the heat, over time it balances. But it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing commitment. One of my personal daily practices is to just sit with myself. Not, it's not even really meditating. Just sitting with myself and whatever comes up, just being friendly to that. If I'm scattered, I can't think straight. I'm just like, oh. Not beating myself up for being scatterbrained. If my thoughts are just verbal diarrhea, mental diarrhea, just being friendly to that mental diarrhea. Because I, I, it's important to me to cultivate that friendliness. So if I can be friendly to the parts of myself that I find the most irritating, and then that, I mean, you hear me, I just never shut up. It's like that inside too, but I can't turn it off. At least if I close my mouth, you can't hear it anymore. If I close my, I said, I've, I said that I've overcome most of my vices, but not thinking. thinking. Thinking is my big addiction, right? That's the big addiction. That's a heart. I have not overcome that one. That's the next one. So it's like blah, blah, blah all the time. But just if I can at least be friendly to that, then there's a lot less suffering. That doesn't mean the thoughts go away. <laughs> it's still blah, blah, blah. But at least it's still blah, blah, blah. But it's just accepting, okay, right now it's blah, blah, blah. That's just how it is right now. 10 minutes from now, maybe there won't be blah, blah, blah. Right now it's blah, blah, blah. But at least I can be friendly to that blah, blah, blah. Thank you. That was a good question.